Please remain standing as we read God's word, um, which is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Uh, before I read that passage, let me give you some context on this passage. First, uh, we're studying the book of Cor uh, Corinthians, which we see the city of Corinth was a wealthy city. We also know that the believers are impressed. They're looking at the outward financial status of many of the people, their oratory skills. Paul is setting this kind of context to talk about what he's going to talk about a little later about his weakness. The city itself is very immoral culture, which lays siege to the health of the Corinthian church. Paul is commending them to come to a place where they know they can put to death the old and put on the new. Here is the verse, starting in verse 11, going through 21. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated. When you prepare a sermon, there's some things you contemplate saying and some things you want to leave out you're not sure. And this is one of them, what I'm about to do. Okay? So bear with me. Why did the Scarecrow win an award for New Year's? Because he was outstanding in his field. That is a dad joke. Um, but all of us, as we start New Year's, start to think about how we're outstanding. Some of us have major goals. Some of us just want to get through the next week. And... I had a friend, and this, he, I still have that friend. He's sitting in the back. He's going to love this. He had 100 goals a couple years ago, 100 goals. And I thought, you got to be kidding. How can you even remember 100 goals? But I do think this year, after talking to him, he's, one of his goals is to shorten the list. We all, <laughs> we all have goals and aspirations. And there's nothing wrong with that. I actually think it's biblical to have goals and aspirations. I think we are called to have goals and aspirations. But I do think one of the problems that we have is that each one of us, 
at some point has to define what problem and what goals we're actually trying to pursue. I love what Einstein said. He says, if I was given one hour to save the planet, I would spend 59 minutes defining the problem and one minute solving it. What an incredible statement. Most of our time, we are working on things that just really don't matter. The question is, what is the problem? Here we see with Paul, he's clearly trying to talk to the church in Corinth about a problem they have. They missed the mark. And the church, like we said, was a very wealthy area, very, very much like Fort Lauderdale. It was in a very immoral place, very much like Fort Lauderdale. They were impressed with people that had great communications skills. They were impressed with people that had great wealth. They were impressed with people that had achieved so much. But Paul has a different goal for him. He has some major goals for them as he's commending us to have goals. But he actually wants them to create a new identity. His major goals, he wants them to be ministers of reconciliation. He wants them to be different. He wants them to be a new creation. He wants them to serve as ambassadors of Christ. Paul is commending them to more than just setting out some goals. He's commending them to change their whole identity. One of the terms you learn in seminary, most of the terms I've learned in seminary are just really fancy words for something that could be easily explained. One of them is hermeneutics. It just means a simple way, a helpful way of interpreting scripture. If you look at this passage and look at those verses, you'll see a pattern that Paul does over and over. He uses the word therefore. Therefore. He actually uses it five times, but there's four therefores I want to pay attention. And one of the things they said in seminary that helped me, when you see therefore, you said, what is it there for? Okay? That's a helpful way to remember things. So as you're reading this scripture, I want to go for, go over those four therefores. Verse 11, if you've got your Bible, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Just hear that. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The second therefore is found in verse 16. It says, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The last one says in verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So the first point in the sermon, which is also in your bulletin, so if you're not taking notes, you have it later, is the ministry of reconciliation. God calls each one here to a ministry of reconciliation. The whole passage is developing this idea of reconciliation. The motivation for reconciliation that Paul uses, the very first thing is the very first therefore. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In, first, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul starts with the first 10 verses. And the first 10 verses, what he does is he develops this idea, this image that everyone would have seen in the Old Testament of everybody was a tent and it was, they lived the tent. It was an outward expression. And then he develops this idea that we're to get rid of that tent. That's our earthly body. We're going to move towards this goal. And this goal is one day we would meet the Lord. But he finishes with verse 10 in that first section. And he says this in 2 Corinthians 
5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We don't talk about this very much, the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a topic that a lot of people want to talk about. It's actually one of my least favorite topics, the idea of standing before God and taking account for all that we've done in our lives. Now, as believers, we have the hope because we get to put the imputed righteousness of Christ on us. But nevertheless, it says there's some type of account that we will go through. And Paul is saying that. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Why would we ever fear the Lord? Because scripture tells us in order to have a kind of understanding of others and God, we have to fear the Lord for ministry as well as our faith. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which we find in Proverbs. But we also find here, we're going to stand and take an account for all we've done. A friend of mine called me and says, why don't we ever talk about this? I said, we don't talk about it because nobody likes it. I don't like it. But the reality is we are accountable for the things we do. I love what somebody said. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for them. We see that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. While fear is not the highest motivation, it is certain, nevertheless, a valid motive. Um, I heard a story about a kid who was in class, and this came to my mind when I saw the Christmas spectacular, my wife trying to manage all this children and put their outfits on and all the elementary kids running around and you had some young young boys I won't name any of them like Preston who are given a really hard time running around and causing havoc but there was a boy named Johnny and Johnny was in the class and he was one of those he just run around if he could pull some hair he would pull a girl's hair he would causing all the problem and you could see the frustration this this teacher says Johnny Will you please sit down? I'm trying to take attendance. Johnny, repeatedly, repeatedly. Johnny doesn't sit down. He, she finally says, I've had enough. Johnny, if you do not sit down, you will miss recess. Well, he was one of these children that loved recess. He thought every moment was recess. So he sits down, but he's not happy. And she looks on his face and she says, Johnny, what's the matter? She, he says, well, I'm, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. The truth is, I think we all can see that the motive for godly living cannot just be an instrument of fear and coercion. It has to be through the love of Christ. There's more. Both are valid, but one is better. We start with the the fact that we're enemies of God, but at the end, we end up to be kings and heirs to the throne. Uh, Dr. Kennedy made a statement that supports what Paul was saying all through Corinthians. He says, the problem with people is not getting them saved. It's getting people to understand that they're really lost. That's so profound. We spend most of our lives trying to really tell people you're not in good shape. And most of our lives we spend, we try to prove that we're okay. And the reality is all that the gospel is telling us is to bend your knee. You're not okay. And because you have a problem, you're not reconciled 
to God. Ever since the garden and the fall of man, we have become enemies of God. And because of that enemy, we had a need, a huge need, which is the sacrifice of the perfect lamb. We have been in contention with God. We have to get people lost. We have to realize we're lost in order to understand the gospel and the power, the transformative power of the gospel. The second point is this. The new, we are the new creations in Christ. It says in the second, therefore, found in verse 16, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul is saying no one, not even Christ, should be regarded in the flesh. That just means the outward. He says, Paul is showing that the old way of thinking was looking towards the works done in the flesh as the primary identifying aspect of a person. The disciples even looked at Christ. They saw him in certain ways on the outward. They saw him as a political figure. They saw him as a liberating force. They saw him as a new leader in Israel. And Paul is saying it was his earthly weakness that gave us universal power to be reconciled and all men reconciled to God. The third, therefore, if you have your Bible turned in 17, it says, therefore, if any was... Anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I don't know about any of you, but how many people get subscriptions to things in which they never did it? That's one of my goals this year. Get rid of all my subscriptions. But I have a subscription to audible.com and didn't realize I had bought about 20 books. And I think it was last year's goal that I said I'm going to read or listen to books more often. And I, when I went through it, I said, well, this is a good opportunity. I got a little bit of break. I'm going to start downloading these books. And there was a book called Atomic Habit. And the idea between Atomic Habit was this, that little changes every day, even 1% add up. The aggregate adds up to be something very significant. Well, he tells a story about the English cycling team. He says the English cycling team was so bad before 2003 that they had won one medal the whole Olympics. And they were so bad that even bike manufacturers would not give them equipment because they didn't want anybody to see that the British riders were doing this. This was the opposite of an endorsement. So they would, they were horrible. They brought in a guy by the name of David Brailsford in 2003. So he began to make these 1% changes in their life. He said, let's change the tires. Let's change the clothes you wear. Let's change the helmet you put on. Well, it began to make such a significant change that over years, they ended up at one Olympics winning 60% of all medals. And then... He's, they actually had someone that won the Tour de France, the most prestigious of all cycling events. But he did something that was fascinating. He said, we're going to change your identity. We're going to change your identity from just guys that cycle in England to people being the world's greatest cycling team. He said, it, then these goals would change. And so my question to you is, do we truly embrace a new identity in Christ? Because it's an identity of service. 
It's identity of humility, but most of all, it's an identity in the ministry of reconciliation. What do I mean by that? The old has passed away. I think too often we get caught up in the world just like 2 Corinthians. The people in Corinth got caught up in the everyday activities of the world. It's fascinating. I just came back from Greece. I didn't get the opportunity to go to Corinth, but I did to go to Athens. And when you go to these countries and you see the things that they built, you're fascinated. You go, how did they do this? I mean, the columns are massive. Uh, The amount of marble that they put is incredible. And you're asking the question, how did they do this 2,000 years ago or even before that? And it's remarkable. So these cities were cities of grandeur, but they were also cities of accomplishment. People were looking at what they did. Rhetoric, we think of all the thinking in Greek philosophy. Rhetoric was one of the biggest things for the people in Greece. If you had the ability to convince, persuade, and win people over, you're considered highly esteemed. Money was important. And I never realized this, but I had actually gone through and listened to 2 Corinthians audibly, the whole book. Paul sounds insecure. He just does. I was shocked. But there were things that I was even more shocked about. Paul gets through this whole book and he keeps talking about his inability to communicate. He says he stutters, he stammers. He's a great writer. We know that because most of the New Testament. But Paul was not confident about getting up and publicly speaking. Even on Mars Hill, there's indication And we would assume Paul, this great warrior in the faith, had it all together. He didn't. And that's why he keeps saying he boasts in the weakness he has, because in the weakness, Christ is glorified. The oldest passed away. We're not looking to build our outward appearances. We have to embrace the new identity of Christ. And lastly, the reason is, is the reconciliation between God and humanity is real. I work in a ministry um, where I get to work with a lot of homeless. And there's no doubt working with the homeless that you can see the humanity of man and you can see their need. And one thing you realize before them and before you, their sins are very clear. And I've had more guys confess, I have an addiction issue, I have problems, I used to be faithful. And then I had an affair and all these things that were catalytic to their homelessness. Because sin is real. What we are doing is we are actually bringing a ministry of reconciliation to people who are, who are hurting. So the last point, and I'll finish with this, is that we are ambassadors for Christ. If you look at verse 20, it says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. There is a responsibility for representing Christ. You don't have to be more moral. That's not not the point. I'm not telling you to do a better job in making yourself cleaner. What I am telling you is you have a message to bring. You have a responsibility. With all the things we do outside, there is one main goal that Paul's talking about. If you're not an ambassador for Christ, you have not got the message. You have a responsibility to this world, a broken world. And we have to encourage people to embrace the very fact that they've been reconciled to God. You have to believe it in your heart. 
I don't know, the best thing for me right now in my whole life is to know I am right with God. That is the greatest hope and is the greatest achievement that anybody could dream of, but I didn't achieve it. It was all in Christ. My greatest hope is that. But that should catalyze us because we understand the righteousness of Christ was imputed to us. I want you to look at this last verse. John Piper said something. He said, this is the clearest gospel explanation in all the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's called the great exchange. He knew no sin. We had the sin, and he took it on. Your, sh- your soul should leap. I don't know about most people, but I know in my heart there's plenty of regret, and each year is... A positive and it's a negative because the positive is I think about the things and reflect on those things the negative is sometimes I reflect on the things that I've done and feel like I failed one of the greatest comforts and the encouragement of reconciliation is that Christ comes in and says no I took it all for you you good bad and ugly and he takes it for us and he gives us his code of righteousness I'm gonna finish this one story in Seattle, and I've said this one before, but I thought it was so pertinent. In Seattle, they had the Special Olympics where they uh, mentally handicapped as well as physically handicapped athletes participate in events just like the regular Olympics, and there is a communal kind of aspect to the people that are involved in the Special Olympics. I was actually there one year in Seattle and saw everybody, how excited they were when it was happening. And there's this kind of feeling of family. Well, they were running a race, and they had, it was younger athletes. And there was nine of them that were running this race. And they line up, and it's just 100 meters. So it's just run down, and we're going to time you across the finish line. And as they begin running, they got a little ways ahead. Everybody's kind of in the pack, and they're like any other race. They're trying to have the first place winner. A little boy falls down. He's nine years old. He falls down, and he tries to get back up. And when he tries to get back up, he can't. He crumbles on the ground. But then he makes a cry. He cries out, and all the other runners stop. And they stop, and they all turn back. Eight other children turn back. They walk back to the child. They pick him up. But before they pick him up, one of the girls said, and I got to read this, she leans down, a Down syndrome girl, and she leans down and kisses him on the forehead and said, this will make it better. I'm like, you got to be kidding. And then they walk hand in hand across the finish line. You know, this is powerful. If only the church would do the same, right? If we could see those people, because we all are running, and we're all handicapped. We're worse than that, we were dead. And we have to turn around, because there's a world of people that are waiting to cross that finish line. But they need us. They need us. That's what Paul's saying. 
You have a ministry of reconciliation. You are ambassadors of the gospel. Some of you don't know exactly what I mean by being reconciled to God. That is putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that your sins, all that you've done, he's died and taken on your behalf. That's what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then there's others of, a, of you that are here today that are believers. We have a calling. I don't know how many times we talk about evangelism explosion, but we probably should talk about it all the time. It's how to share your faith. There are people who are desperately needing to understand what the gospel is. Grace, man, God, Christ, faith. There's people all over the world that need to know that. You need to know how to tell it. If there's any goal that you have this year, let's not talk about goals. Let's talk about a change of identity. You're a new creation in Christ, which makes you an ambassador for him. May this be a year that your identity is more identified with that than our old self, which is the accomplishments we're trying to do for ourselves. So I'm going to invite you in prayer. If you've never made that prayer and you've never accepted the reality that Jesus Christ died for you, do that today. Don't wait because this is the whole message. This is what it's about. If you're a believer, resolve in your own heart today that you will make this a priority because God, like I said before, he didn't save you by good works. He saved you for them. So the way to make this year outstanding is to change your identity and put it into Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that you're a God of grace. We love you and praise you. There are some here today that have never put their faith and trust in you. Lord, we ask that you uh, open up their hearts, open up their minds so that they can see the need, the fact that we are all fallen and we're all stumbled and we're all trying to get up, but it will never work without the help and without the hope of the gospel. I praise you for those that have already made that real in their lives and they understand the point of reconciliation, I ask that you give them grace so that they can share with others. Give them the encouragement and make their hearts be one motivated by the love of the gospel and the love of Christ. We praise you for all you're doing. We lift you up in all things and we thank you for what you've already done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.